very happy uh, today to have Katie Anderson uh, with us. I heard her a few months back at a event that uh, Malcolm Lee was hosting. I thought, boy, we need to have this young lady share with the church. Uh, Katie used to attend this church, and she finally decided to find a better church. Uh, no, no, she her husband, they went, wound up going to Georgia, and his jobs moved them different places. But uh, when she first came to us, she'd finished college, had a hunger for the Lord. God moved her heart to go to Dallas Seminary, and uh, she completed her work there. And as I was saying, Rich Rollins and I wanted her to be our women director and disciple everybody. And God had done a work in her heart to go other ways. Uh, saw the ministry of She is Safe, which she now is a part of. And God is using her and Greg and her dear husband. And uh, she's a beloved, beloved sister. And we welcome Katie. Come and help yourself, Katie. He told me to feel at home. It is a lot like coming home, I found. It's wonderful to be here and to worship the Lord together with you this morning. I thank you so much for, uh, for all of your support through these years. Many of you as prayer warriors, as financial supporters, and, and many of you know my family. And so I thought I'd give you an updated picture because they're not able to make it with me today. It's up there now, I think. There you go. That's my husband, Greg, and my three children. Brayden is in middle school now. Uh, Zachary and Avery are in elementary school. We moved away when Avery was just two years old. So it's been a couple of years, but they're doing really well, and we're settled in Atlanta, Georgia area, and my husband is doing uh, public procurement for a city that's in that area, and we're just really enjoying our life there in Georgia. But it was 11 years ago at a mission con conference right here, and I was sitting right about there, and I heard Michelle Rickett, the founder of She Is Safe, speak. She talked about little girls that were being forced to marry men two and three times their ages. She talked about others who were enslaved, abused, trafficked, just because they were female. One specific story that strikes me was a little girl who was brushing her hair in Iraq, and she had been uncovered, and some gentlemen walked by, and because she was uncovered, she was killed because she brought shame to her family, and they could not have that. And I can tell you the, the wind was knocked out of me. I could hardly catch my breath. And yet she then talked about these women and men who were local Christians in these areas that would come alongside those who were suffering like this and bring hope and tangible help. And I knew in that moment that I must be a part of this ministry. And what was so exciting is that my husband Greg was there with me, and he came out and he said, yep, this is for you to do. This is an invitation to our family. My part is to make it possible, and your part is to go. So for the last 10 and a half years, I've been on staff with She Is Safe, and we work in the highest risk places around the globe, high risk for abuse and trafficking, places where abuse and slavery are the norm. And we're looking for places that are also least reached with the gospel, where your average person never has an opportunity to hear of the hope that they have in Christ. That's places like Mali, the Middle East, South Sudan, India, Nepal, Myanmar, which is also known as Burma, and Indonesia. 
And last year, we had the opportunity to help equip roughly 18,000 women and girls to help build a life of freedom and faith. And then God blew open the doors in Indonesia with the opportunity to also introduce uh, women and girls, or children, school-aged children, uh, 68,000 of them, to 10 tips to safety, to how to keep their bodies safe, and we had an opportunity to share the gospel with those 68,000 public school children. In 2018, our mission is to reach 77,000. Many of those are the same individuals. We're trying to dig into them deeper and deeper. And those 60,000 school children in Indonesia, we're going back with an Awana-like program every week in these schools. And they have an opportunity to learn and to grow. And this is in a very, very tough area. And I'd be happy to tell you about all of our work and all the countries we work. But I'm going to tell you today about just one of them, about the country of Nepal. And I'm going to start with a video so you can see that. In Nepal, trafficking has deep roots dating back to the practice of Indian kings bringing girls back from Nepal after their hunting expeditions in the Himalaya. This practice progressed into an industry, to the point that in some parts of Nepal there are no teenage girls left in communities. They've all been sold into the sex trade. Because of this, Shia Safe works in both rural and urban areas to prevent, rescue, and restore women and girls from trafficking. In order to change the pattern of trafficking, she is Safe focuses heavily on prevention. Prevention looks like equipping Nepali women to educate others in their community about the realities of exploitation. Because poverty plays such a key role in a family's decision to sell their daughter, we work distinctively through our income generating goat program. In this program, a girl is given a few goats, which she learns to raise and sell. As she brings in income, we see her family change their perception of her value as she provides an alternative source of income. <laughs> Going forward, the need remains to buy more goats to involve more young girls at risk for trafficking in our goat program. We also desire to continue to provide education and vocational training opportunities to prevent trafficking and restore those who've been rescued. We know that alleviating poverty and the opportunities of education completely transform communities to prevent and break the cycle of trafficking. traveling to Nepal filling in because we were without a staff member in Nepal. So for about a year and a half I've been there and on one of my first trips I got to meet a young girl that I'll call Sita. And this is Sita. 
Sita's 12 years old. She's never had an opportunity to have an education. Instead, she spends her days laboring in the very difficult mountainous terrain in which she lives, trying to get enough food to feed their family for the day and to harvest for the year. And within 12 months, without intervention, without intervention, Sita will be sold into the brothels of India. Her risk factor is approximately 100% because for centuries, this community has been selling their girls over and over and over again. When she reaches the brothel in northern India, a brothel of about 30,000 sex workers, she'll, she'll survive seven years, often succumbing to childbirth, abuse, torture, drug addiction, or suicide. If Sita survives, she'll return back to her community. This time, she'll become a wife and a mother. Or she'll re return as a madam, seeking other young girls that she can take with her back to the brothel so she can exploit them. And the cycle continues over and over and over again. To the community that Sita lives, Sita's entire value is less than the tin sheet it takes to cover their home. But when I look at little Sita, regardless of the country she lives in, regardless of the economic station that she has, I see a little girl with infinite value because she bears the image of my Savior. For the last five years, she is safe, and our local co-workers in Nepal have been bringing this message into this community, that, that girls are value, valuable, that there's hope, and that the sale of women and girls, the sale of any person, is illegal. And we've seen progress. You got to see some of the work in the video, and our primary way of doing this work is by introducing families uh, to an income-generating goat program. So 50 impoverished families receive two goats to raise and breed and sell. And as they raise these goats up, their families begin to see them with a different value. Uh, because the income from that sale can replace the income that they would have otherwise if they sell their girl. A he goat, a well-grown he goat, can bring in approximately five, or 110 US dollars. And five goats sold over the course of the year will give the family a solid economic standing. So in conjunction with that, we have these groups, these Red Panda Women's Groups, which you saw in the video. They're community action groups where we teach women the value that they have, the value their children have. They learn health and hygiene lessons. They can save money. They can see the needs in their community and how they can meet those needs. And they begin to press for some progress within their community in a positive way. And they even act as local law enforcement, that front line of law enforcement. So if they hear of a girl that's being sold, they show up at the door of the house, and they don't leave until they find out where she's been sold. And they can network with our local Christian partners, and our local Christian partners can network. And if we can get to her before she crosses the border into India, she can be safe. So these groups are working. The conjunction of bringing up this economic value and raising awareness, we're now getting to see 13, 14, 15-year-old girls. And when I traveled there a year and a half ago, I got to look these girls in the eye. I got to joke with them and laugh with them, talk about my children and other things. And things are changing. But we don't want to leave them there either. 
we take them along and teach them vocational skills. And this March, we have the opportunity to launch a school in one of these communities where 100 children will receive a formal education and their parents a non-formal education. The teachers that are coming in are local Christians of the same people group but not from this community, and they can provide a quality education and a daily witness for Christ. And, it, and we're seeing that ever so gently as we share the love of Christ, things are changing. There were no believers when we started five years ago. Then there was one, then there was three, and now in addition to those three, there's five families who we believe are on the verge of accepting the Lord as their Savior. We believe this is the window we've been hoping and praying toward and working toward for all these five years. But trafficking is not just a thing of the past. Trafficking is a thing of today. And in these communities, there are people who are working actively against the work that we have. In last May, a, for, a trafficker was elected as their local leader. It's the equivalent of a mayor. And in the few months between his rise to leadership and my visit to the village in June, three girls had gone missing again. And for these months, he's been able to continue to exploit girls and women. But you can imagine my delight in January when I found out that he had been taken into custody by the police for his involvement in local trafficking. So we got on a plane, we headed to, to Nepal, and the night before we headed into the community, we found out he had bought his way out. And I tell you what, I had to deal with the Lord a little bit on that one. It was really hard for me. We had had a confrontation back in June, and there were some real challenges because he does not like the work that we're doing. And now that he had been arrested, there was potential for some even more significant things. And I had to pray and invite some others to pray, and we decided in faith to go ahead and go. But I tell you, before the Lord, I wasn't sure if I was going to see my children again. It was a little bit scary. But you can't not go. You have to go. These children need an opportunity to hear. And so we went, and by God's grace, as we entered into the community, we found out that this man had been taken back into custody for a previous infraction, and he's now serving a term for, for that. So please pray with me that this man will remain in custody. Pray that this community can continue the momentum, continue to build this new life, and pray that this man would come to Christ. That instead of exploiting girls and women, instead he would become their biggest champion. That's what I'm praying for. And on March 8th is the International Day of the Woman, and the theme this year is the idea of pressing for progress. And so when I was in Nepal, we got this picture snapped that captures that idea for these girls in Nepal. Look at their hands. These girls wouldn't have been there five years ago. These girls are saying, stop. Stop to the traffickers. Stop taking us. Stop exploiting us. But they're not just leaving it there. They're pressing for progress. They're pressing for the opportunity to remain in their families. They're pressing for the opportunity to have a healthy family. They're pressing for an opportunity to get an education. And they're pressing for an opportunity to have trafficking be a thing of the past. So on March 8th, as you consider what is your message about pressing for progress, think about these girls. When I think about it, on March 8th, 
but really every day. I join these girls in pressing, but I have a much greater purpose in mind. I dream that one day these girls will be seen with more value than the tin sheet that covers their home, that they'll be seen with more value than even the goats that they raise and breed and sell, but instead that people would look them in the eye and see the value that they have because they bear the image of their own Savior. I dream of the opportunity to, to worship together in that small village in a church together with the man who's a trafficker and the teenage girls and the others in the community who have come to faith. And I invite you to pray with me and to join with me in that. Stand with these girls in pressing for progress. They need our united voice. They need our prayers. They need our help so they can build a strong future with freedom and faith. I'm out of time. I'm going to go uh, in the back after the service, or actually my folks will be in the back after the service, and I'll be up front. But I'd love to talk with you about any questions you have about our work or how you may be a part of that, that journey. Not only did Martin Luther King have a dream, this girl has a dream. To see girls quit being exploited, sold, trashed, two goats worth more than one girl. And yet God says, I'll pay the infinite price in my son. We're going to receive a love offering. And uh, where do you want your money to go to? Some of you are counting it. You're looking at your investments. And we could be fat, sassy, pleasure-seeking Americans. Or you could put your treasures on the other side. As Luke says, someday people will be in your receiving line that you gave and invested in. Be great. To see what the receiving line might be for Katie. If five girls were saved in Nepal from the effort, would it be worth it? Our Father, deliver us from loving pleasure, ease, and non-involvement. Grip our heart for the ends of the earth to do what we can, when we can. I pray that you'll continue to use Katie, watch over her. Use John today as he speaks again, as you've used both of them in mighty ways already in these services. We give because we love you. You're the only one that can rescue ultimately. So we like to invest our money, which will go to missions. We'll go to children's ministry youth ministry this ministry that ministry we're about the gospel rescuing sinners we pray bless this church to be generous and we labor even in season and out and sometimes we feel we're just sowing sometimes we don't see the harvest only you can give us a harvest but help us to sow and water in the meantime. I pray 
Father, bless, bless and provide in all ways for your glory. Amen. Amen. We are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto all who would believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. I'm far from a legend. <laughs> I, I've been called many things, but legend was not one of them. Let me start by saying thank you. Thank you to our church members here. Deborah was led to the Lord. My wife, Deborah, was led to the Lord by Phil Howard many, well, several years ago. <laughs> A Jewish mom who'd been married, divorced, who escaped an abusive first marriage, found herself single and alone, looking for answers in her life. She even asked her mother what she should do to have the opportunity for a better life. A very Jewish family, her mother said, well, why don't you try watching this Robert Schuler guy on television? Don't pay attention to any of that Jesus stuff, but he's so focused on the power of better living. So she turned on Robert Schuler and was mesmerized by the, the line that scrolled across the bottom of the television set that talked about living waters and never thirsting again. She started searching for answers, went back to the synagogue. Her life was really falling apart in many ways. She spoke to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, I was married, I'm divorced, I escaped my abusive first husband, my abusive husband. What should I do? And the rabbi looked at her and said, well, some people have good years, some people have bad years. You're just having a bad year. She said, no, there's got to be more to it than that. She went and bought a Bible. It's a great story. She went and bought a Bible at a Bible bookstore. She asked the little lady that was there, do you have one that's just the Old Testament? I'm not allowed to read the right side of the Bible. <laughs> so the little old lady looked at her and said, well, honey, it's just the way they come. She had a friend who was also Jewish that accepted Christ Messiah as his savior. He brought her to Valley Bible Church. The first time that my wife set foot in a Christian church was Easter Sunday. And our Larry Howard was portraying Christ 
on the cross. And she walked in and said, oh, that's what they believe. But she was fascinated by it. She joined the membership class because she thought, surely they'll make the connection on messianic prophecy, you know, try, try to find out how what they believed might connect with what she grew up believing. But messianic prophecy really wasn't part of the membership class. So after several weeks, she went to see the pastor as he was wrapping up a class and said, Pastor, I've never been treated so well in my life. The, the people here even know I'm Jewish and treat me nice. You see, when she was a little girl, little girl growing up, she had been called a Jesus killer. Her grandmother basically told her, don't have anything to do with the goyim. That, that's the majority of you all that are non-Jews. Don't have anything to do with them. Don't ever get close to them. Don't trust them. They'll end up calling you nothing but a dirty Jew and spit on you. So Deborah went to see the pastor at the end of the class. And I love it. He basically ignored her. He started reading Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, she didn't know a lot of the Old Testament real well back then. Now she's the theologian of the family. <laughs> but as pastor started telling her the Easter story in Isaiah 53, it's like the scales fell off of her eyes. And she said, oh, your God is my God. There's the connection. She came to faith in Messiah. Thank you, Valley Bible Church, for supporting us over the years, for being our prayer partners, for letting us be your missionaries to the homeless and desperately needy of the greater Bay Area in Richmond, California. Your prayers, your support, your volunteerism make it possible for us to do the ministry work that we do among our Bay Area's most desperately needy people. And we wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you for all you've done over the years that have allowed us to do the ministry that we do. Let me pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning to share through your word and rescue mission stories what you are doing in changing lives, not only for today and tomorrow, but for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was getting ready to share a message this morning and praying about it and thinking about it, yeah, I, I'm basically in 35 different churches during the course of a year sharing about the rescue mission, doing everything from the five-minute mission update to the Sunday morning services and, and everything in between, 35 different churches. But last week, I was here. 
and we were sitting uh, kind of right back in this area and pastor opened up and started sharing 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 and I thought oh wonderful he just stole my message for today <laughs> so let me share this with you instead from Isaiah chapter 58 beginning in verse 6 is not this the kind of fast I have chosen one that will loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see him naked to clothe him and not to turn away your own flesh and blood for then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear then your righteousness will go before you the Lord Jesus and the glory of the Lord will be your guard then you will call and the Lord will answer you will cry for help and he will say here am I if you do away with the yoke of oppression with the pointing finger and malicious talk and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday the Lord will guide you always he will satisfy your needs in scorched land and will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairers of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Today, those words that Isaiah wrote that he spoke apply to our lives today. Walt Laughlin was a little old man that I knew early on in my rescue mission experience. Walt stood about five foot two, had white hair, and he was 94 years old. Walt would come down to the rescue mission and he would share he would share the message of the gospel the third Tuesday of each and every month. Now this was the mission in San Diego where I started my rescue mission ministry. The mission down there would seat, the, the chapel at that rescue mission would seat 900 homeless people at one time. It was a pretty good sized mission ministry and it was typical that there would be five to six hundred homeless people in the chapel every night for the gospel service and Raul Laughlin I love the guy five foot two white hair 94 years old he would get up from his chair after the hymns were sung after there were testimonies given and he would walk up to the podium with his Bible five foot two, the Bible's almost as big as he was, and he'd set it down, 
And Raw at the podium looked about like this. And he would say, he would start almost the same way each, each and every time. He said, well, I'm not a teacher and I'm not a preacher. I'm just a little old man. And I'm going to share with you tonight what God has to say from his word to you. And he would talk for about 15, 20 minutes, share the gospel. One night when he was done, he gave an invitation like he did every night for people to accept Jesus as their savior. And one night I saw over 120 men and women come forward to accept Christ as their savior. Raul Laughlin was a legend in rescue mission ministry. Bob Morley is another individual that I knew early on in my rescue mission ministry history. And Bob was a great guy. You know, in Proverbs, the scripture says, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but that way leads to death and destruction. Bob Morley became an alcoholic when he was 15 years old. He was a hard-working man. He was a hard-drinking man. He worked in the shipbuilding industry in San Diego. But at age 52, he got drunk one day, which was just like any other day for Bob. Age 52, he was up on his roof of his house fixing a roof problem, shingles or something. And he stumbled off the roof and fell, and he became disabled. He was never able to work again which meant that he had more time for drinking. He had a small pension. He got a little bit of Social Security disability payments. But the more he drank, the more he lost. Friends, family, home, Bob lost it all. But being a wily alcoholic, like many of the people that come to a rescue mission are, Bob devised a survival plan. He made arrangements for his pension always to go to his landlord, the owner of a flop house, for Bob had a single room, to pay his rent. So he was never homeless. Then he made arrangements with the local liquor store so that his Social Security went to them to buy all of the booze he needed for a month. So he was never without booze. Just left nothing for food, for clothing, or other things. So Bob said to himself, I'll go to the rescue mission. I'll sit through the evening chapel service. They'll let me have dinner. And that's what he did. For 12 years, Bob Morley came to the rescue mission, and he loved to sing. He was never a problem. He'd pick up the hymnal. He'll just sing along. Loved singing the hymns, you know. Page 72, Amazing Grace. Page 88, I've got a mansion over the hilltop. And on and on. And when the song part of the service was over, he'd nicely close the hymnal, put it on the ground, under, on the floor, under his chair, and promptly fall asleep. Before any of the testimonies, before the message... And Bob would, with a smile on his face, share 
those rescue mission people, they're nothing but suckers. They let me come in every night and do this. Every night for 12 years, Bob Morley slept until the service was over and someone would nudge him and say, Bob, service is over, it's time for dinner. And he'd go in and have the mission stew. And he would go home and he would be back the next night. And then something happened. No one could explain it. Bob stayed awake. <laughs> he heard the testimonies. He heard the message. And when the person sharing the message that night said, if there's anyone who would like to accept Jesus as their Savior, well, Bob got out of his chair and he came forward and he accepted Jesus as a Savior. He joined the missions program, but within five months, his liver gave out on him and the Lord took him home. It's not a tragedy. What would have been a tragedy would have been for Bob to continue without ever accepting Christ as his Savior. Yeah, we're the biggest suckers in the world at times. We let people come back and back so that we have the opportunity to share the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Francis J. Crosby, a great hymn writer, a hundred years ago, 86 years old. She lived in the tenements in New York. She paid $2 a month for rent. She'd been wealthy at one time. She had a good upbringing. But she loved the people, and she loved sharing the gospel. At age 86, she suffered from scoliosis so bad that she stood about 4 foot 6 inches tall instead of 5 foot 6. She was blind, but every night she would come to the rescue mission and she would look for the worst of the worst so that she could sit down next to them and share about Jesus who would rescue them. She wrote hymns like, Rescue the Perishing, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, and many, many hundreds more. So Fanny Crosby, she would come to the mission. She would look for the worst of the worst. And how does an 86-year-old blind lady with scoliosis do that? She would walk down the center aisle. And as she passed each row, she would lean in and go, <laughs> and when she found the person that smelled the worst, she would sit next to them and tell them about Jesus who would rescue them. Fanny Crosby was a legend. Romans 6.23 to me is the heart of rescue mission ministry. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It really hit home with me when I was 29 years old. You see, when I was a kid growing up back in Indiana, I got, I got involved with this thing called Bible quizzing. I was a real heathen back in those days. No interest in religion, Christianity, Jewish background that didn't really care about anything religious. 
But Bible quizzing gave me the opportunity to go to a church because I was interested in this young lady that went to a church. I was a teenager at the time. And I kind of got hooked on it. I thought, I looked at the Bible quizzing thing. They jumped off of chairs, you know, and answered questions. Uh, you could win trophies. You could impress girls. And I thought, you know, by golly, I can do that. I memorized the books of Romans and Galatians verbatim. I memorized the rule book and decided, you know, it's pretty good. I recruited other heathens to join me to put together a winning team. And we would do anything to win. We intimidated other teams, the coaches, the judges, anything to win. And as it turned out, we won the international championship of Bible quizzing without any of us being saved or knowing the Lord. Uh, and we quizzed over Romans and Galatians. So fast forward, I was now 29 years old. I had left a very successful career looking for answers in my life and ended up homeless on the streets in San Diego. I was waiting to die. I weighed 135 pounds at the time. I thought my life was such a failure that everyone would be better off without me. I wandered into a bar in downtown San Diego in 1982 with $24.50 left. Now I was making $250,000 a year back in 1982 had my own consulting company while managing the data processing installation for Exxon in Miami. But I had lost it all. I was a cocaine addict that spent $65,000 a year on cocaine and just crazy living. I walked away from it all looking for something to make a difference in my life. Didn't find it. Ended up homeless and on the streets in San Diego. Wandered into this bar sat down to drink away the last $24.50 I had. I was wearing a suit, had my two suitcases, had a shake case. This was not a nice bar. This is a bar for the hardcore alcoholics, heroin addicts, derelicts would hang out. And, and I was by far the best dressed person in this place. Well, I was a drug addict, but hey, I was a respectable white collar drug addict. I never sold drugs. I had never been arrested, although I should have been many, many times. And as I sat down at the bar, an individual came in, sat down next to me, looked like a homeless man, and started talking to me. He basically said, you know, if you're down on your luck, if you need a place to go to get a meal to spend the night, you can go to the rescue mission. And I laughed at him. What's a rescue mission? Never heard of it before. Never been to one before. He said, well, it's a place where you can go because people care. Come on. You're trying to tell me that somebody cares about me? I don't care about me. I'm waiting to die. And he talked a little bit longer, got up and left, and I never saw him again. I worked with the homeless for over 10 years in San Diego. I never saw him again. I am convinced that God sent an angel in there 
to direct me, where I could get the answers that I needed in my life. I picked up my stuff. I walked over to where he said this rescue mission was. And as I walked down the street, I looked up, and on the side of the rescue mission, painted in big, bold letters, was Romans 6.23. I looked down, and I thought, God is mocking me. I knew Romans. I didn't know Jesus, but I knew Romans. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I lived as a homeless man in San Diego for three months. I slept in parking garages. I sold blood. I sold plasma. Almost every night I was going to the rescue mission to get the free meal. And rescue missions are tricky places. To get the free stuff, they want you to sit through the evening chapel service. But it was safer in there than it was out on the streets. I didn't mind. I was homeless during Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, 1982 into 1983. I was homeless on my birthday, January 13th. But on January the 17th, 1983, at 1.25 in the afternoon, I got on my knees and accepted Jesus as my Savior at the San Diego Rescue Mission. And God dramatically changed my life. Eight years later, I became the director of the San Diego Rescue Mission. And then I, I, I got to know this guy named Malcolm Lee, who was the director of a mission up here in Richmond. And he saw some of the things that we were doing in San Diego. The mission in San Diego had grown four times of what it had been. So he asked me to come up as a consultant to kind of do an evaluation of what was going on with the mission in, in Richmond. So I did. I was single. No connections, really. I never took a vacation. I, I was a workaholic before I became, I stayed a workaholic this time for the Lord. And life was good. So I came up, and before long, Malcolm's calling me and saying, you know, the recommendations you made, the board wants me to hire you. And I laughed at him and said, Malcolm, no offense. I'm in San Diego. You are in Richmond. I've been to Richmond. Why do you think I would want to leave San Diego? <laughs> You're not even offering me your job. And I'm the director of a mission four times bigger than yours. How, how many of you know Malcolm? Okay. So, you can... Uh, you, Listen for the Malcolm ease in this. He said, well, brother, I just think you ought to be where God wants you to be. Will you pray about it? He said, Malcolm, I want to be where God wants me to be too. I don't think it's Richmond, California, but I'll pray about it. And I did, and I'm in Richmond. <laughs> One of the first things they did was put me in charge of hiring new staff. Deborah Hirsch, this young Jewish mom with a 9 and 11 year old son, was the first person I interviewed. Now, I'd been single for 13 years, had not dated anyone for 10 years. And she applied for a job. 
and I knew right away that God had brought us together. So I did my best to get Malcolm to hire her because I thought I would be off the hook. Totally inappropriate to marry someone that I hired. Doggone it, Malcolm wouldn't hire her, so we got married. <laughs> you know, we run the Bay Area Rescue Mission, or as Deborah likes to say, it runs us. The Ministry of Rescue is its vital, it's active, it's, it's alive. We had a staff member who graduated from our program about two and a half years ago, two years ago. His name is Todd Zimmer. Todd went through the program, graduated the program, stayed as a volunteer helping around the mission. And we put him on staff about two months ago. And after a month being on staff, the Lord took him home. There were people that said, oh, isn't it horrible? Isn't it tragic? And I said, no, no, it's not. It's a graduation, you know? But what would have been horrible and tragic would have been if Todd never made it to the rescue mission, never accepted Christ as his savior at the rescue mission, and had died facing an eternity of hell, not being saved. I can't help myself. I, I, I love rescue mission ministry. There was a time that I hated homeless people before I became one. You could have called me Ebenezer Scrooge. Let them die. They're worthless. They'll never amount to anything. That's how I actually felt when I lived in Miami making all that money. And then I became one, and God transformed my heart. I can't imagine doing anything else. In fact, I, I've even, I, I like telling pastors, like, like Brother Phil here, hey, if this church thing doesn't work out, why don't you come to the rescue mission and work? <laughs> it's where the real ministry is. No. <laughs> Look, the bottom line is this. I'm, we've been in, here at Valley for many years now. We know many of you, and, and many of you know us. But there might be somebody here this morning that's hearing this message and the rabbit trails and stories that I love to tell about Rescue Mission Ministry. But the bottom line is this. It doesn't matter whether you're down and out or you're up and out. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're out. And you're facing an eternity in hell separated from God. And that is tragic and it's scary and it's not God's design for your life today. The scripture says that today is the day of salvation. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we can take care of that right now. And we should right now. In fact, if you want Jesus as your Savior and you don't have him, if you need to rededicate your lives to the Lord right now, 
Pray with me this prayer, would you? Dear God, I come to you in Jesus' name. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Create in me a new heart. Help me to live for you the rest of the days of my life. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you for the blood of Christ that has covered my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before I close, if you prayed that prayer this morning, you know, could you just raise your hand for a moment? Rededicate your lives to accept the Lord as your Savior. Thank you. Thank you. Rescue Mission Ministry, there's nothing like it. It's not neat, it's not clean, but it's exciting. If you haven't been to the rescue mission before, or if it's been a while since you've been, I want to invite you to come to take a tour of the rescue mission, and who knows, God just might be wanting to use you, even if you're an 86-year-old blind woman with scoliosis, whoever you are, God has a place for you in his ministry work. Thank you for letting me share. The Lord bless you. I'm going to have John and Katie wait up here if you have any questions. Uh, Katie's ministry, they've had a table in the back with material that you can look at. And uh, I was moved. Uh, after the second service, I had a man come up to me that I've never met before, would not give me his name, but he uh, had a, a handful of bills. And uh, he took and he put them in my hand. He said, be sure to get it to this woman. And I said, yes, sir. He said, I've been the man she's been fighting against for, I sleep with the prostitutes. I traffic in pornography. I this, and, and he was weeping. And I asked him, and what's your name? He said, I'm only here to confess I'm wrong. I'm not here to give you my name. And, uh, and others in that first verse, they raised their hand to receive Christ as John made the invitation. If you're here today and God is working in your heart uh, I'll have John and Katie, if you want to greet them, have any other further questions, feel free, feel free to come and talk to them. Father, our hearts have been moved today. Our eyes uh, have been made wet with tears. And we pray, what would you have us do? I even hear Jesus say that to the Father. When the father said, I'm tired of sacrifices. I'm tired of goats and bulls and lambs. And then I said, uh, you need a body, don't you? you? You need a human being to die. Well, here am I. Here am I. The son said what Isaiah said. Here am I. Father, I pray. Use us till we take our last breath, promoting Jesus and begging sinners, come to the living God. Do not let us waste our life just pampering ourselves. 
Help us to be poured out in making Christ known. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. God bless you.